Empire of the Sun. Suns. Empire of the Suns. Wet like on book. Wet like on book. Wet like on book. Arizona Sports presents the Empire of the Suns podcast. Empire of the Suns. Empire of the Suns podcast. My name is Kel Nelson. Joined as always by Kevin Zimmerman, a man who has not punched a co-worker today. What's up? How do you know? You just walked in. I know things, man. I have sources yeah, around you... the office. Like, I'm not a sources guy for the Suns, per no. se, but I have sources in this office. There are, th- there are things in the office environment that I just, I'm like a quiet, head-down worker guy, and admittedly not very social, but then you find out things that everyone knows, and it's just like, yeah, I'm just out of it. But you're very much in tune with everything. Or I don't care at all. <laughs> I, I care until I don't care. Yeah. I get told things, I'm like, I don't. <laughs> don't don't please, tell me anymore. Please, please stop. We're not even going to provide context for that, by the way. No. If you've been living under a rock, Google punch, and it'll probably come up. <laughs> it'll probably come up. The Suns got punched in the face by the Adelaide 36ers, 134-124. They were the first NBA team to lose to a NBL team. NBL is the league in <clears throat> New Zealand and Australia. They followed it up with a 119-115 win over the Los Angeles Lakers, who are now 0-3 in the preseason. Oh, no. Warning signs over there. <laughs> preseason is the ultimate. Make of it what you will. I think we talk about summer league so much as things people overanalyze. People forget that they're doing it during preseason, too. You know, mm-hmm. it's just preseason is summer league with the with the big boys. Like that's that's pretty much all it is. But I will I, I like summer league. I always argue that there are things to take away, and we'll talk about a couple of them here on the episode. We should start at the top with the biggest news, which is that in the Lakers game, just a really weird like Landry Landry Shamit spoke with the media today, and he was just like, "Yeah, basketball is just weird like that. Like it's just." Within five minutes, two guys come out of the game with a hand injury. Like, there's just random stuff that happens like that all the time. Uh, Cam Johnson lasted four minutes in the Lakers game before a right thumb sprain. The video was harder to track down on that in terms of what exactly happened and when. And then three minutes later, campaign checks in for Chris Paul, plays for 45 seconds, 30 seconds, a shot comes off of the backboard he sticks out his hands to grab it like everyone does and then the the ball just hits his finger weird and then he comes out of the game and does not return the timeline reevaluation period and all that kind of stuff that we were given today was a week which is good news now that doesn't mean that they're going to come back in a week it doesn't mean they're going to be out for a week necessarily but it just gives you a good indication of where the timeline currently stands and like if I had to just guess right now I would guess that both of them are playing on opening night when you're giving a, given a week. We are, I believe, 12 days away from opening night right now. It is a week from Wednesday. So that's the news at the top. And in these last two preseason games, which we're going to talk about later on as well, we're going to get, get a... It, it's so strange, Kevin, that it kind of happened. I guess we can talk about the injuries up front, just like them happening. It's so strange how it happened at the two positions we were curious about most on this team, which was backup point guard and then the four, the four rotation specifically. Because when I asked Monty today about the four spot, I included in my question, like there's a half dozen guys he could try at that spot. Whereas backup guard is just like where a lot of, there's just a lot of missing bodies there. And not in terms of anyone being injured, but just with 
how they don't have a lot of names over there. So it, it's going to be it's a, it's a good it, it's not a good thing obviously, but at the same time there are going to be positives for them to glean from this because they're going to. It sounds like Monty's plan is in the third game or the fourth game or both to play the starters on their regular <laughs> minutes. So someone is going to get – so Cam was about to get – Cam Johnson was about to get 30, 32, 34 minutes in one of these games, and now those minutes are going to go to someone else. Campaign was about to play whatever it was, 15, 20, and he's going to be able to go with someone else too. So I think those are going to be able to go to someone else too. So the, the positives there, especially with what we saw from Landry Shamit in the second game, are, are there, uh, but obviously not what you want to have happen. No, and I always say in summer league and preseason, you can't take away like results and how the team's functioning necessarily, but you can take away more individual stuff. Um, and definitely when you talk about this stuff, we're going to talk about individual stuff as in Monty wants to learn things um, more and more as the preseason gets old and it's getting old quickly because there are two <laughs> games left. But I-, I think he'll want to learn, okay, um, is it ish? Is Jock Landale the backup center? Is Dario in a good spot to be that? Is Dario in a good spot to play the four? Um, with Cam Johnson, if he's out, can we survive that with that configuration? And then I think the big question that we've hit on a million times is, okay, who's backup point guard if Cam Payne gets hurt? Or if Chris Paul gets hurt? Or if campaign's not good enough and Shamit and Wayne Washington are the obvious ones there but I I just think they're the only obvious ones well yeah yeah I just think that's kind of stuff that we're gonna get I guess it's fast-tracked now quick recap of the two games because I don't want to go into game flow and things like that we should talk much more about the things that you just alluded to Uh, Adelaide comes out Plays like this is their Super Bowl, which they should, and which the Suns should expect, to be clear. The Suns come out like it is a... They played like a level below a preseason game in terms of their effort and their intensity and all that kind of stuff. Then Adelaide started hitting shots, and then once the starters specifically tried to kind of get back in the game, that was the start of the second half. That is when they cut down the deficit from, I believe, a dozen to three when they came out of the game. Don't ever drink like a soda before a podcast. I'm just burping like crazy right now. I needed the caffeine really badly uh, coming in, but man, I, I keep having to mute my mic. It's disgusting. Anyway, you didn't need to admit it, but thank you yeah, for I didn't your need to tell people. That was just too long of a break right there. It was just too long. Someone would have leaked that video of you doing that. It's going to if... be amazing if there is actually like you can hear it from your mic because that was so loud. I, I don't know. I don't think it was that loud. Anyway. The starters in that stretch, there's still some crazy Craig Randall, the second three is going down, and you're like, <laughs> oh boy, this is not just going to be a first half thing. They're going to have to try and win this game. And the second unit just had no cohesion at all. Monty uh, was doing hockey lines, a.k.a. all five starters in at the same time, all five reserves in at the same time. And Adelaide just kept hitting shots, even when the, the second unit and campaign specifically started to get some shots to go down. Those shots just kept going down. Craig Randall, the second at 35. Robert Franks at 32. Uh, their uh, their playmaker, uh, McCarron, had 16 assists. They shot 24 of 43 from three. It is what it is. And and the starters, I think you'd be more concerned if the start, if there was anything to be concerned about. It would have been if the starters wouldn't have had like that third quarter specifically. 
they were all plus 11. So it was, that would have been where the actual concern comes in. But if you, I'd be confused if you came into this game and weren't worried about the Suns' depth, which we've been talking about for months now at this point. And I think for a, for a handful of fans, I would assume that was like a, oh crap kind of moment where they did kind of realize yeah, campaign might have to do everything some nights. He yeah. might just have to do everything. And that's kind of where the roster construction stands. We saw a little bit more of natural rotations against the Lakers, but of course, Cam Johnson playing four minutes, campaign playing one, put us in some interesting situations from a rotation perspective. We saw Dario close the first half with the starters as the four. We saw Torrey Craig start the second half as the four with the starters. We saw Ish Wainwright play some four. That was mostly with the backups, I believe fully with the backups it appears to me kevin with the whole that wasn't a burp (laughs) it appears the whole plan to me kevin is that especially hearing monty today is that in that situation where chris paul or campaign misses time which if both those guys play all 82 games more power to the suns but that's probably not going to happen no it appears the plan is just shift landry up a spot and he's going to play point guard and then that's where josh akoji or damian lee or I guess like someone like Mikel can slide up to the two. They've got a couple more options in that kind of layout. Maybe TLC gets the 15th spot. He looked pretty good against the Lakers. I thought he made some plays for sure. I understand who he was playing against, the level of competition. The Lakers went to the the very, very end of their bench in that game. But with that being said, I thought he made some plays. Uh, but from a rotation perspective, what jumped out to you the most through the two games? I didn't mention this. I should before I kick it to you. Jock Landale, backup yeah. center, two games in a row. Based on, again, going back to the get a life thing, I mentioned this with Jock last episode, and then it turned out to be I was onto something. Just inklings, it, this doesn't seem like a Dario getting into shape thing. This seems much more like a Jock. They are excited with Jock Landale and want to see him as the backup five, and we saw it um, against the Lakers. But that, that was pretty much it from a rotation in terms of like outlining it. What, what stood out to you? That's it. And I'm super curious because I think, like, as fitting as Jock Landale might be, be able to pass well, be that connector that Monty likes to use that word, um, I I just don't see Dario playing four. I like he might have he looks really good like in shape and all that good stuff, but I thought the strength of this team again I've said it going back to the Monty's first year when they had. Our boy Aaron Baines, like the strength of this team is when you have a stretch five. And so I think Landale has that potential. His stroke does look good. When you look at the numbers from last year, he actually did take, I believe, maybe a third of his shots, something like that, were from three, and it was only at a 32% clip. And it was not in a like 89, 89 attempts, 32.6 on the percentage. And then at the free throw line, he took 41 and he made 34 for 83%. So, so a couple of positive there. indicators there. Yeah. And if you give him extended time, the, you know, some players just more rhythm is better. Like that's Cam Johnson's deal. I think he's a lot better and more productive and the numbers just pop when he gets more minutes. So... Like, I get Landale's a better rim protector, too, just because he's a bigger dude, longer dude, but that's super interesting to me that they're thinking about going in this direction of just keeping this, like, traditional 1990s type of lineup. And 
when we talked about in the soft season, remember when we were talking about what if they lose DA, what if DA, what if they don't lose DA, we were talking about ways they upgrade and we were talking about the four spot and like Dario does some stuff off the dribble, but that's just not his game. His stuff off the dribble is a lot more dangerous if you're playing him against centers. So to me, that's where there's just like a weird, I can't wrap my head around the philosophy. But again, it's two more games in the preseason. We'll see what they ultimately decide. Jock Landale could be outside and then Dario's just the backup five. I don't know. Let's stick on this for another minute because I think it's important to look at Jock and how we can agree that Frank and Dario were different players, but they were more the same than different. I think Jock is more different than those three guys. Uh, I think if you look at <clears throat> if you look at Jock, something that stood out to me in the second game specifically was his mobility. Mm. I thought that he was getting up and down the floor a bit quicker than I expected. And then a friend of the podcast, Durag Hoops, pointed out on Twitter that like the second jump is pretty good, like things like that. Like he's a little bit more of a leaper than you would expect, and and just things like that. I think as an athlete, he's he's the best of the three, and especially with the shooting. They ran against Adelaide. I can't remember if they did this against the Lakers, but against Adelaide, they came out of a timeout and ran something off motion for him to shoot a three like on the move. And that's the kind of stuff that he can do. Frank's been doing that since Wisconsin, so that's nothing new for him. But Landale can like has some agility to him a bit. I looked back on the free throw numbers from his four years at St. Mary's, 74%. So the thing you always have to remember with big men, we talked about this with Kaminsky a lot, is that point guard three-point shooting percentages are always different because they are taking a ton of pull-up threes. Devin Booker's percentage is always different because he's taking a lot of pull-up threes. Seven-footers, it is very rare for a seven-footer to knock down like 35%. When you have a stretch big, you're hoping for 35, 36, 37, somewhere in there, and that's usually where Frank landed throughout his career. That's sort of where Dario was. So we mentioned 33%. You might be thinking that's Westbrook numbers or Giannis numbers (laughs) or whatever. But he's a seven footer, and if it can go up again, he did not take. Well, I don't know if we said this. He didn't take threes in college, yeah. so this is clearly a progression point for him. And if he can come in and knock down thirty five, thirty six percent of them, and it can be something that's a little bit more consistent for him this year, that's just a variable of the offense that he adds. Because I think we saw really in the Laker game uh, how physical he can be, and just how nose for the ball type of player that he is. There was a lineup at one point that was. Landale, Sarich, and Craig. And that was the rebounding special from Monty Williams, which is like we're not only getting offensive rebounds, but we're getting every single defensive rebound. And there was one one possession for that group where the Lakers got an offensive rebound and it stood out just because those three are going to be swarming the glass. So so I'm I'm just curious to see keeping an eye on Landale in the next two games, just the point five stuff. I haven't seen that as much and it's not been because of his ability. It's just, he hasn't really been in those positions yet. Not even saying the coaches are using him in a certain way. Just those kinds of situations pop up when they do naturally in a game. And he hasn't really been around for them yet. But if he is able to be, I think the whole point in what I'm saying in terms of different, but the same, same different with those, those three is that Dario and Frank are the more versatile offensive players and Landale is a lot more nuts and bolts. But if he can have some of that variety, have some of that point five stuff, then I really do see the appeal beyond just the rebounding, great screen setter, 
better having an actual rim protector in that stretch five spot because we talk about stretch fives all the time and it's rarely someone who protects the rim and shoots threes like brooke lopez for example but he he can be that guy yeah and we don't even count the lakers game because of those (laughs) hockey lineups you mentioned of if we're talking about point five stuff and building a feel for your teammates and, and dribble handoffs like look like a simple play and that kind of thing but those types of plays where it's high post you catch the ball you make decisions i think once he starts playing more with chris and devin then that's where we're gonna see more of like what's actually gonna be useful in the game right because like those guys aren't gonna not be playing with him that's why dario was so good because he would play with some of the starters and guys who can work off the ball so well and guys like even like damian lee um I think the first game he, I said he touched the ball like once or twice. I felt like, and like he's a great example of a guy who can really play off a Jock or a Dario well or a Jock Landale if he's a good point five guy, just because he's a cutter and a slasher. Um, but he has to get a feel for the system and a feel for what Chris and Devin are creating, you know, on the strong side. That kind of thing. So, yeah, there's there's a lot to work on and, and learn about the reserves and just taking Cam Johnson out of that. Um, just that shooting even is is going to cause more questions than answers. If Torrey Craig's the guy who's coming in, like he he hasn't necessarily ever been good enough as a as a three point shooter to make you worry. Um, so just the gravity is completely different. The players are different um, and, and the rotations could just be different as far as like if they're going rim roller, floor spacer at center, whatever. There's a delicate balance for that group between needing everyone to be as aggressive as they should be and having guys not try and do too much. And Craig over his career has gotten stuck at times during games with trying to do too much. And we saw that in the Lakers game where a couple of dribble moves and then he was very passive in the Adelaide game and him finding that balance is going to be really important because he might be out there with the starters for these next two games and maybe even opening night if Cam Johnson's recovery doesn't go as well. We obviously saw the number one thing that we were watching for heading into these games was Mikel Bridges and Cam Johnson on the ball more. Mikel just didn't get shots to go down against the Lakers. He was one of eight. He fouled out in 20 minutes. It was just a weird preseason game for him but we saw book bringing up the ball a lot more as well and cam uh sorry chris paul was just i i was paying attention to how many possessions he was just in the corner not moving and and that's not to say that's not to say that they're misusing him by any means but it's Mm. a no but it's a but you can start to get there if we see it I just wonder. We need to talk when, about that. Yeah. Okay. To talk about it. <laughs> Peyton Manning quote. What I wonder and what I'm going to, there's a list of, as you can tell by the way I'm talking, about 15 different things I'm going to be watching for in my brain for, for the first dozen games. One of them is when we are in that muddy nine total points have been scored over four minutes portion from both teams. And then Chris Paul has a 7-2 run that instantly self-stabilizes them. Is he going to be as consistently providing that in this role if this is indeed the role that he is going to have where he is going to spend a good number of his possessions just standing in the corner while the four other guys run it? 
And something I should add here is I'm going to be writing about this at some point before the season. Chris Paul's lifetime percentage on catch and shoot threes is well over 40%. I haven't done the math yet, but I looked through all of his seasons and he takes, I, I would say at the top of my head when I was looking at the numbers, 60 to 70% of his threes on pull-ups. And the number might even be higher than that. Honestly, I think the most that I found was one and a half a game that he was taking on catch and shoot. But some of those years, it was 47, 49, 45%, and it's mostly stayed at 40 or above for his the, whole the career. The problem is he doesn't take enough to but, me. But he is going to have to be, and he took, he's taken a couple of yeah. corner threes in these games already, and he has to like view it as a quick trigger finger. Yeah. Like He's over there. His role completely changes in those. It, he turns into Cam Johnson or Mikel where he just has to shoot as soon as he gets the ball, unless it's a Chris Paul situation where he sees a, an immediate he can turn it into an immediate threat by attacking off the bounce. But again, the point of those possessions is for him to save his legs a bit. So there's like four things to watch for within that, which is obviously how McKell and Cam are doing on the ball. How does it look in the, the thing I talked about with Mike Vigo on his playback stream for the second game? There's been the stat with Devin Booker points per touch, how he's the number one guy in the league. Those days are gone. He is going to be on the ball way more now. He is going to be touching the ball way more now. And can that be a way to... It almost seems like part of this is giving the green light to Book to run the offense himself. That's something I've taken away from it, at least seeing it in two preseason games so far. Again, two preseason games, we'll see. We were Mikel was really aggressive, really great offensively in last preseason. And then we didn't quite get there before. But it seems like some of this is like the green light superstar stuff for book as well so those are like the four things is Mikel cam on the ball book really really leading the offense chris in the corner and then just what chris does in the corner when he gets yeah when he gets the ball i did notice that too and it wasn't just corner attempts or <coughs> attempts where he's not bringing the ball up it's like within the offense there were so many times the last few years where it swings to him and he just is open and the rotation slow or they're not taking him seriously because they know he's not apt to just fire away. But there were a couple where it's like, oh, that's that's not usual Chris Paul. Um, he had a quick trigger a couple times in the preseason. It's like, okay. And and yeah, it's not about his accuracy at all. It's just about willingness. Um, another thing kind of related. Mikel looked different to you? Physically? Yeah. Yeah, he's stronger. Upper body. I'm trying not to do the. He looks Muscle totally different, thing. but he. It's not even like look. I guess it might. It might be look. He looks like really good shape, but also, um, his first step looks faster. He looks like someone who very much prioritized pushing his body to the furthest point he could from a development standpoint. Yeah, because like I think when he first came out of college, he, he just floats like he looks so natural and he's not slow by any means. And then last year kind of came like, Oh, he's starting to dunk on starting to yam on people. Might just be confidence with his handle too. Yeah. Handles way tighter. It's yeah. It could be a handle soul. thing too, but it's getting to the dunks in the half court where it's like, Oh, he like caught and went and is, it's not like, yeah, it could just be, assertiveness and like i'm gonna blow by this guy because i i'm confident i can don't turn or don't turn the corner on the screen accepting your two dribble pull up mm -hmm. come around that with some juice and then if you see 
that there's a big waiting under the basket or someone's rotating over early, then take your 14 footer. Yeah. But turn that corner trying to have some bad intent, you know? Yeah. Also seems like a more natural way to get DA the ball. Run less ball screens with him. I, the The ball screen numbers for him are going to be interesting because is are those ball screens that Chris isn't going to be running as much anymore just going to go to book now? Or are those possessions going to be mitigated to him getting the ball on the block? Those post-up numbers, again, using the... You can already tell that my brain is going to write something about 12 to 15 games in that's on the differences we thought we would see, what we wouldn't see, because I think there's a lot there. One I want to mention, and this is a very basketball nerd one that I understand is going to be, we will see it for, I'm guessing, under 10 total minutes of game time for those 15 games, but the 3-2 zone on defense has been really fun to watch. I like seeing how much they used it in the Laker game. Is that a Toronto thing also? I believe that is a Toronto thing. <clears throat> so for those that don't know, and, and don't notice the stuff, which, look, I, I tell people all the time, like David, Mike, and Sam, they're tweeting about stuff, and I'm like, what? He's, he's like, the short roll stuff for DeAndre. There was a one game where he really did it a lot, and I didn't even notice it in the first half, and then the second half, I was like, oh, yeah, he's, he's doing that. So I'm, I'm right there with you for the people on that train. Typically now, it seems pretty, let me know if I'm wrong here, but it feels like every team has at least one junk defense where... We're going to tweak our scheme to a point where maybe we're doing something different with switching or our pick and roll coverage. You can even go further and just play a zone defense to throw off the rhythm of the game for a couple of minutes. There's certain lineups offensively for the other team and then defensively for your team that suit that. And Monty is, I don't want to exaggerate here because he's good at a lot of things as coach, but that's maybe been my favorite thing to watch him do as a coach. He has a really good feel for when to do it. It just seems like whenever they go zone, it either doesn't work right away. He's like, never mind, <laughs> never mind. Nope, we won't do this. Or they do it, and, and it really works well with just mixing up the game. They yeah. ran it 2-3, just like mostly everyone does. But a lot of teams, not a lot, but a handful of teams have gone to 3-2. There's teams like Cleveland, who have Evan freaking Mobley, who can play oh. the top of that spot. And then there's teams like Toronto with Scotty freaking Barnes, or any of their 9-6-9 nine, nine guys with 7-2 wingspans at the top of that zone. And basically the three, two is a lot more to, I'm not going to go two nuts and bolts here because I'm not a ex NBA assistant or it's anything about like shapes. that. Yeah. But the shape is a lot more free flowing. Two, three is a lot more organized and the three, two is just as organized, but it's more of organized chaos where if the ball goes to the corner, sometimes it'll be one of the two guys on the blocks. Sometimes it'll be one of the two guys on the wings up top from the three as opposed to the guy, the two guys from the two. And then really that guy that, that's at the head of the snake the, there, that's where you expect to see Mikel a lot. But then Tory Craig was there yeah. for one possession as well. Damian Lee was there for a couple of possessions too, which again, think about that. Three really good defenders, intelligent defenders, smart defenders, experienced defenders, playoff athletic defenders. defenders, former Golden State Warrior Damian Lee. Athletic defenders. So, can't, so athletic. Can't sleep on his athleticism, Kevin. You can never do it. And there was a possession in the Lakers game when they did it early and there was just a wide open corner three. But then there were a lot of them where the guy on the wing, one of the guys on the wing was down in the basket. Now Craig comes over to the wing and you just kind of shift everything around. And then all of a sudden there's seven seconds on the shot clock. And I was like, oh, God, what do we do now? (laughs) And it's pretty much the way that I watch it, at least, is how often can you get that result? 
where the initial possession, initial plan is scrapped, and now they have ten to six to ten seconds to improvise and try and get a good. And then shot by up. the time they're like, "Oh, we got one play on you," and we started to get a rhythm. You're like, "Okay, we can pull yep. it now." Yep. Now we're um, out of here. You're flat having the guy flash in the middle. You're having a, a screen set here. We're I, not going to do it anymore. In the past, like. They've always done it out of timeouts just to blow up a, a good play that they think the other coach is going to run. Have they gone to two, three for more than like five possessions? Like, I feel like the amount they're doing it. Single digit pra- possessions is a good way of thinking about yeah. it. Yeah. I think the amount they're doing it right now seems like it's more than just a very occasional thing that they might try. So that'll be interesting to see like if, oh, we're going to do this for like until you stop us even. I, I think I think the three two is something that can be used a lot more extensively. Like we will see double digit possession runs. It will be more of a we're gonna wait and see until you stop it. We'll run this for six, eight minutes. Miami does a lot of that stuff too, where Miami will just go through its catalog of defenses. Just keep trying one until they and then they'll stick with it for eight, twelve, fifteen minutes even sometimes. They do that a lot. Uh so just watch for that because we're talking about preseason at the end of the day. Just get to know how it moves for those two preseason games. I would recommend doing that because it's a really fun wrinkle to watch for. And when you see them always making these runs in the early fourth quarter or the early second quarter, it was the, I want to say it was the Ish, Landale, Lee, Shamit, and TLC lineup at the start of the fourth quarter. They really got going defensively and they were going in and out of it. They were doing man, then they were trapping a little bit, then they were going to the zone. They were really, they really found a rhythm. And that's what this team ultimately can do. We've talked about the offense a lot with the starting lineup, but the roster as a whole is still more skewed towards defense, I think. Yeah. And one more little inkling that Monty talked about today, the the Shamit shifting up thing. He mentioned seeing Shamit and Akoji together in a backcourt to get some size. And that's a lineup, especially defensively, that would be really great. Shamit called, called Okoji a, a elite defender. I agree with that assessment. And Landry, as we've talked about a lot, was someone who really surprised us last year and is a is a good defender and I would argue very good with how he played in the postseason, especially. So that's just kind of a preview of the next two games, things that we noticed, things to look out for. Anything else kind of jump out to you? I think one thing we should mention is, I talked about this with Mike, I really thought Ish had gotten to a point where he could at least compete for his spot. And look, he's doing that behind the scenes and all these scrimmages and all the practices and stuff. But I thought he was in a spot where he would be in the mix to potentially take some minutes from Craig, but it does not appear that that is the case. Yeah, he just blends in a lot, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. Um, I don't know. I don't have much on that, man. I mean, Craig still, like like you said, kind of gets out of pocket sometimes on offense. Um but just the energy is always there, and obviously Monty trusts him that they traded for him again. So um, I think that could go into the season, though, where it's just like Ish is just doing his job, and then at some point it's like, hey, you either need to shoot more or do something else better, and he's going to have to come to grips with that, and maybe that opportunity will come up again, but I don't know. I think I'll end it on because the... The two preseason games have been so much about the second unit, and rightfully so. I think Dario playing at the four and being suitable for the four and playing the Dario that we saw from two years ago at the four, plus Landell 
proving that he is legitimately worth that five spot plus campaign not being exactly what he was two years ago, but just more like two years ago as opposed to a year ago. He doesn't have to be one of the three best backup point cards again, but just be reliable. And then Shamit doesn't have the worst year of his career like he did last year. I know that's a lot of ifs, which reasonable. I've talked about again, <laughs> but I'm trying to be trying to have a reasonable read on how the second unit could be in a spot where 15, 20, 25 games and we're looking at it and saying it's it's been it's been OK and it's been fine. I think schem- like schematically depth chart, someone made a really good point to me on Twitter where I, I can't remember who exactly I was talking about. Um, it was it was defensively, I, I believe, with with Jay, how I, I talked about, hey, remember when Mikel guards Russell Westbrook and oh, then yeah. LeBron James is guarded by Jay Crowder. Now it's Cam Johnson. I saw this somewhere tweet. where Cam is going to have to really prove it. And that came along the lines of someone replying to me like, well, until the playoffs start. And then that's when you start to worry about those things a lot more. And that goes to the second unit as well. So I think we got to something to understand about our discourse is that we're only talking about it so far. And I just don't see from a roster construction standpoint, even if all those guys play well, how you're going to feel confident about it going into the postseason. It could be enough to be a 60, 55 win team still, though. Yeah, for sure. Potentials there. A lot it's of not enough offensive pop enough defensive questions but yeah that's why i think panicking about it now is like we've been panicking about it since the nba finals i mean they're flaws and they're not panicking about it because they're still a really good basketball team so yeah that's why tread deadline is going to be a big deal for this team and lots of other things on other teams are going to happen um people will punch other people people will request trades um, the Utah Jazz will continue fire sailing everything and there will be opportunities that we don't see right now. I should have mentioned this earlier, but Landry said something really interesting today. He said he believes that being a point guard is what he's going to be known for by like the end of his career. Oh, that's nice. So he doesn't feel like the player that he is now, a two guard shooter, defender, feels like he's more of a ball handler and then his career over the next five to 10 years will develop the way it's going to, but he feels like it's ultimately going to lead to him being more of a point guard. Usually we see the inverse. We see like Jamal Crawford and Lou Williams and those kind of guys being point guards on their ultimately the heat, heat (laughs) check, the Kobe white thing. You're a heat check two guard. And it only took him until his second year to kind of be that instead of a point guard. Landry is going to be the opposite. It sounds like in terms of what he sees his career being. So again, last two games, keep an eye on him and how he's, Leading things, he had a really good game against the Lakers. Twenty-one points, hit five threes. The off-the-dribble threes were there. Pull-up threes have been a weakness of his statistically so far through his career. But again, he never played this spot and never yeah. got the rhythm for it. So keep an eye on him in these last two as well. All right, we'll be back next week to kind of preview the season. Wow, for better or for worse, we've already done it in a myriad of ways already. <laughs> So we'll do more of this rehashing what happened in the last uh, or what happens in the next two preseason games, health updates, and take a look at those uh, those old Dallas Mavericks and what they're up to. We'll be back next time. See you.